Well, I certainly hope you're ready to have a conversation about some of your favorite Christmas classic songs because, baby, it's cold outside and people can't seem to stop talking about that and I have a lot to say about it. Yeah, that's that, yeah, we're having that episode. We're having that episode, so get ready and let the sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? Because this is FritzCast. Hey folks, it's Wednesday, December 5th, 2018. Yeah, I know, I'm doing it on a Wednesday, right? You know, uh, you know, this program has gone from being a Monday broadcast to a Friday broadcast to a... Tuesday's broadcast to a whatever day I sit down and record it, get over it cast. That's that's the type of... I mean, you know, it's the holidays, right? Come on, man. It's the holidays. Um, it's the holidays and, and politicians are saying things like this. To the representative from Lombard, I would like to make him a broth of Legionella and pump it into the water system of his loved one so that they can be infected, they can be mistreated, they can sit and suffer by getting aspirin instead of being properly treated and ultimately die. And we are talking about our nation's heroes. We are talking about World War II veterans that survived combat, survived war, survived unthinkable situations that they were put in to sit back, put their faith and trust in the state of Illinois, and have that completely, unabashedly disregarded. Now, I don't know what she was talking about. Um, I, all I know is that uh, it's a little off the cuff. It's a little... Uh, I don't like my politicians saying... Um, Things like that, uh, even even for dramatic effect, I just I don't. But it's the holidays, right? So yeah, my schedule's a little topsy turvy. All right, last week I got to enjoy uh, I got to enjoy some time off from what was it Wednesday? Wednesday last week I worked uh, I worked a double. I believe I worked a double. See, I don't even remember. See, that's the thing. I don't even remember, so I can't even. I can't even express right now. I did work a double last Wednesday. And then I was off Thursday. I'm always off Friday and Saturday. I was off Sunday. I was off yesterday on Monday. Or no, I was off on Monday. And I was off yesterday on Tuesday. See, my days are all mixed up. I'm I have, I'm sitting on a computer that has today's day right in the little toolbar up top. But I still can't get it right. Fantastic. So, uh, Friday, let's see, last Friday I went to the Franklin Institute and I went to see the Vikings Beyond the Legend exhibit, uh, which I've been dying to go to since it rolled into town, probably back in November or October. I don't remember exactly when it crashed into, uh, into Philadelphia, but it's been making the rounds nationally, uh, so it could be coming to a museum near you, simply Google Vikings Beyond the Legend and you can see the tour schedule and figure out if you can go or not. Uh, because if it comes into your town, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, 
maybe it's because I'm a nerd and I love history and I love artifacts and stuff like that. Uh, I was uh, dumbfounded walking through the Vikings exhibit uh, because, well, the Vikings were uh, freaking... uh, So many people have different misconceptions and, and... false notions of Viking culture and what it was like, like what the Vikings really were like. Somebody, so many misconceptions, the stupid cartoons with horns on the helmets, you know, oh yeah, that's Vikings. They like, they had horns on their helmets. Actually, no, <laughs> no archeological evidence, uh, presented or found suggests that the, the Vikings had horns on their, on their helmets. It's just some goofy cartoon thing that we do. And, it's, it's amazing. You, you walk through this exhibit and you'll see so many different swords and axes. And a lot of it is smaller artifacts. But thinking about how old they are. Yes, yeah, sure, it's not like some grand scale old of, you know, here's an Egyptian mummy. I've seen them before. They're kind of cool. And seeing artifacts of that nature. But it's still really interesting to see all this stuff sprawled out. And, you know, it's time stamped and dated back in the, you know, early 1000s. Uh and it's it's amazing to see. Uh one of the most amazing uh keystone or or cornerstone pieces of this exhibit is uh there's there's um about 25% of the original wood that they found on the Rooks Slide 6. I'm probably butchering that name. Everybody's found me out now. Oh, here's the guy who says he likes Viking culture. He can't even pronounce the name of the boat. Well, it's a ship, dummy. Number one, it's not a boat. It's pretty, pretty massive. They only have 25% of the original wood. But it's the original wood. So what they did is they built this, and it's huge. It's, it's ginormous. It is in the focal room. There's a giant room where they usually have some cornerstone or, or keystone of the exhibit. Uh, for for any exhibits that roll through there, for Jurassic Park, it was a giant animatronic Tyrannosaurus Rex that came out. It was pretty impressive. But this is so massive. They built a steel skeleton of the size of the ship, and the ship is huge. It is. It it would fit onto a football field. I mean, obviously, it doesn't span the entirety of the football field, but it's still pretty damn big. And walking from the front to the back of it, and then looking and seeing this original, like the 25% of the original wood that they laid in there. Just looking down at that. That was pretty That was pretty awesome. And I know some people are out there like, wow, you're saying staring at wood was awesome. That's, that's really it. Hey, it was. That was actually a Viking warship laying in front of you. Learn to appreciate some stuff, man. Um, it, it was it was awesome, and uh, some of the ways they some of the ways they set up the exhibits. Like I said, a lot of it was smaller and more intricate stuff, like the jewelry that they would wear, the uh, money that they would exchange, the coins, stuff from pillaging and plundering all around the world. Um, and you know, and that's the other thing too. People think of the Vikings; and they think, "Oh, it was just a big war mongering thing." There was actually traders. They were actually like a big established trading civilization in the world. 
and it went into it went into a lot of it. It was very detailed, but it was very fun to go to. And like I said, if it come if it comes through your town, Vikings Beyond the Legend, go see it. Uh, it was it was quite awesome. So that was Friday. Saturday and Sunday, not much, you know, went on. But sometimes you just need those fallback days at home where you can straighten up the house. Uh, a lot of Christmas decorating got done. Uh, the the 2018 uh, Fritz Lego Village is up. If you go on my Twitter, you can see it. I have uh, the fully functional train that goes around to uh, my Winter Village train station, past the Winter Village fire hall, and past the toy shop. It's a nice little cute display, and every year Lego puts out a brand new set for it. And I buy it like I'm a five-year-old kid, and I put it together all giddy and happy and crap. And then I put the whole thing together, and it's right now it's sprawled out on my living room table. And it's really hard to think that in a couple of years it's going to have to go somewhere else because it's going to be too big for the living room table, but... Just picture me. I'm like Mr. Burns. I'm like, excellent. More Legos, please. And it's funny because my wife says, I don't know what to get you for Christmas. And I'm like, uh, there's like a billion Lego sets that I don't have. But then she wants to be like, oh, there's no space in the house. There's no space in the house. I'll make space. We'll build shelves. I don't care. Just give me more Legos. And then I wrapped up this beautiful uh, little break in in going to work uh, that we like to call vacation sometimes. Funny, I only took a couple of days. I could have taken the rest of this week off. I should have taken the rest of this week off. I really should have. But that's beside the point. I capped off this this awesome week with uh, my wife uh, a while back allowed uh, me slash she bought uh, tickets to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Washington Redskins came into town on Monday night and I was there. Uh, we were actually the closest to the field that we've ever been, uh, which still is very far away from the field, (laughs) but, uh, we were at the very upper level, but we were at like the first road all the way down at the bottom of the upper level. And it was amazing. Uh, amazing seats, amazing view. And somehow a very key quintessential game against the Redskins, who were leading this division. And now it seems like the Cowboys are going to be the team to beat. They beat us once this year already. But if we go by Spider-Man rules, everybody gets one. They had their one, so hopefully that means we have the next one, right? That would make sense, right? No, but I always have an amazing time when I get to go to an Eagles game. I've only been to a handful of them. I mean, they are they, it's expensive to go to a football game, people. You're talking about how many, huh, how much money per ticket, then for parking <clears throat> and driving to the stadium, then getting food at the stadium, then the merchandise that you buy, because you always buy merchandise. There's no way you can go to an Eagles game or uh, any football game. And not buy some merch. Not buy some swag. Even though swag is stuff we all get and merchandise is stuff that you have to go purchase. But that's beside the point. <clears throat> you add it all up, it's a, it can be an expensive endeavor. But I love going to Lincoln Financial Field. I love walking around and seeing all the stuff that they have up. Seeing the Lombardi Trophy in Philadelphia is amazing. Uh, seeing, what else did I see? The uh, Oh yeah, Bud Light donated a statue. 
made and donated a statue to us that's in Lincoln Financial Field. It's it's Nick Foles and Doug Peterson, and it says you want Philly Philly because yeah, that is the most famous play to us ever, and it is now captured in bronze in an awesome statue that I got a picture of. And there was times where that game looked hairy, but we pulled it out, and we at the end we did crush it at the end. Uh, it was amazing to be there live to see a great turnaround and, and a must-win game that they pulled out and won. And hopefully that's that's a telling sign for the rest of the season. Crossing my fingers, hoping desperately for it, if you know what I mean. Now, uh, so that updates uh, me for this past week. And uh, besides touching up on um, crazy Democratic representatives from Illinois, that's that's who that sound clip was from. That was Representative Stephanie Kifowit calling for the deaths of GOP Rep Peter Breen's family. Um, talking about talk. I don't know if it was a direct like I want to do this to him because he offends me or whatever, but that that. That right there, though, should be very telling to people about our politics and how divisive things are becoming and how divided things are becoming and how how people are eerily tolerating some things over other things. Now, like, you know, I could dive into the death of uh, George H.W. Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush, also known as uh, President 41. Um, I don't really want to want to dive into uh, the George H. W. Bush because I'm still formulating my thoughts on it. Uh, I don't like. I, I will come out and say it. I don't like people who just crap on somebody uh, after their death. It, it seems like that's the. It seems like a that's the lowest and easiest thing to do, and and it's just stupid. In my book. I mean, yeah, you have to have some couth and some respect. I believe. Um, and I believe that people like to over-exaggerate in their heads what they do and don't like about a person. Especially around the time that they uh, more or less kick the bucket and leave this world. Um, that being said, for the time being, I, I might formulate my thoughts and write something or, or, or put something out there. I always say write something. I haven't written something in, in quite a while. But uh, if there if there's two sources I'd want to point you to to give you a, a better idea of it and from people who are far better at articulating these thoughts and things because they've been around longer than I have. They have more direct experience with it. I can't tell you anything directly experienced with George H.W. Bush other than he seemed to carry himself with some, some class and some character that... that doesn't exist anymore in this world. But one person I would defer you to would be uh, Andrew Heaton and his podcast, Something's Off with Andrew Heaton, uh, episode 15, why George H.W. Bush is uh, underrated. And if you don't know who Andrew Heaton is, he's a libertarian guy. He's worked with Reason Magazine. He works for a couple different think tanks, and now he works for The Blaze. Uh, He has a great podcast episode about George H.W. Bush and and the legacy left behind. A more critical one would probably be the Tom Woods Show episode 1298 
George H.W. Bush, his presidency assessed. Now, that's out that's out the window now. I'm not going to focus on George H.W. Bush. One of the things I wanted to focus on this episode is, in fact, what I hinted at on Twitter yesterday and in the very intro today. Uh, it is music-based, and namely, there's this song, uh, probably most famously sung by uh, Dean Martin, uh, but it's been covered by countless other artists. There's like 900 different versions of this song now. And I'm, of course, talking about Baby It's Cold Outside, a song that has been featured in headlines this week as being a victim of the Me Too movement, political correctness, and other chicanery in the world. Baby It's Cold Outside, a song that is uh, very, very old. Very old and uh, surprisingly surviving the test of time. Rather, uh, well, I would say rather well, except for the past couple of years. Uh, Right now I want to read from the DenverChannel.com. This is where all the controversy sparked from. So this is Denver ABC News. Article by Robert Garrison. Quote, a classic holiday song some say promotes corrupt messages of consent is back on the radio. KOSI 101.1 announced Tuesday that the 1944 jingle Baby It's Cold Outside will return to the station's 24-7 holiday music lineup after they joined other radio stations across the country and pulled the song after listener complaints. Some listeners have objected to the lyrics, suggesting the song pushes the line of consent is inappropriate in the age of the Me Too movement. The Denver radio station made the decision to place the popular song written by Frank Lawser back into its daily rotation after an online poll which the station said listeners overwhelmingly were in favor of the holiday classic returning to the air. I'm going to stop quoting the article right there. And I really want to dive into the history of Baby, it's cold outside for a minute. I can't believe I'm diving into the history of a song. Thanks, Political Correctness 2018. But it all starts in the origins and the timelines of the song. So yes, uh, a song written by Frank Losser in 1944. Frank Losser is an American songwriter who wrote lyrics to Broadway musicals, Guys and Dolls, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying... You know, this, this this guy has awards, and he passed away in 1969 at age 59, by the way. But uh, he's a hailed uh, musical theater Broadway legend. So, written in 1944, I want you guys to listen to some of the, some of the key facts of the song right here, all right? Now, I am quoting some of this here. But uh, Lasser wrote the song for his wife and himself to perform at parties. He sold the song to MGM, which used it in the 1949 film Neptune's Daughter. It was sung by Esther Williams and Ricardo Montalban and won the Academy Award. Since 1949, it has been covered by many singers, including Ray Charles, Michael Buble, Sir Tom Jones, Dolly Parton, uh, Ida Menzel from Frozen fame. Uh, and this is just to name a few. 
And of course, Dean Martin sang it as well. I I know it from Dean Martin. I think most of the world probably knows it from Dean Martin first and foremost. So if you don't know the song, I mean, you know the song. Everybody listening to this right now knows the song. It's impossible to not know the song, especially at this point, right? But if you don't know the song, stop this, go on YouTube, listen to the song. All right? Get, get, get acclimated with it. It's call and response, male and female parts, singing to each other. Back and forth. Okay? <clears throat> First thing I'd like to p- point out, too, with this is uh, I love, like, go, go, go to the Wikipedia page, for example, and you'll see right in the top paragraph, quote, While the lyrics make no mention of any holiday, it is popularly regarded as a Christmas song due to its winter theme. All right. Let's stop right there, first and foremost. Baby, It's Cold Outside is not a Christmas song, okay? It's not a Christmas song. It's not a holiday song. Just because it is regarded by the masses as holiday music or a Christmas song does not make it so. Its lyrical content has nothing to do with the holidays whatsoever. All right, this is like this listening to Baby It's Cold Outside can be really listened to like any music at any time, but it but I listen to Baby It's Cold Outside in February and March because it's still part of that winter season. I mean, I get winter season will often be associated with the holidays period at the end, but that's beside the point. Baby It's Cold Outside is no different lyric content-wise to Christmas than is any number of Frank Sinatra songs that I can think of right now. And Dean Martin songs, too. Like, I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. Not a Christmas song, probably only played at Christmas and holiday time anyway. And thank you, that's from Rat Pack Christmas album, probably hands down. The best Christmas music you can get is from the Rat Pack guys. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. And of course, less popularly, Peter Lawford and Joey Bishop. Uh, it's it's Sinatra, Martin, and Sammy Davis that is the Rat Pack. Let's not, let's not open up a new can of worms and debate. So Baby It's Cold Outside, in my mind, same vein as I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm and any other song that's just about the cold times but not actually referring to the holidays whatsoever. That being said, if a radio station polls its audience and they love the song and they want it kept on, they they reserve the right to put it back on the air, right? And screw the haters. Now that we got through that bit, just some of the history behind this from Frank Losser himself, all right, and his wife, Lynn Garland. Uh, they sang the song to indicate to guests that it was time to leave. Losser often introduced himself as the evil of two losers, or lossers, uh, because of the role he played in the song. Um, Garland wrote at that after the first performance, quote, we became instant parlor room stars. We got invited to all the best parties of the years ba- uh, just off the basis of baby. It was our ticket to caviar and truffles. Parties were built around our being the closing act. End quote. Now to the controversy tab of the Wikipedia page. Which, by the way, 
everything that I'm uh, everything that I'm referencing in here is in fact linked to articles and and backup of everything I'm saying. So before somebody goes and says he just Wikipedia this, it's not even actual stuff. It all goes back. Okay, I just want to read the controversy tab though. All right. Quote, the song has faced some criticism for the implication of its lyrics. Although some critical analysis of the song have highlighted parts of the lyrics such as what's in this drink and the wolf's unrelenting pressure for the mouse to stay in spite of her repeated suggestions that she should go home, others have noted that cultural expectations of the time period were such that women were not socially permitted to spend the night with a boyfriend or fiancé and that the mouse states that she wants to stay while what's in this drink was a common idiom of the period used to rebuke social expectations by blaming one's actions on the influence of alcohol, end quote. Now, for those of you following along at home going like, wait, I don't understand. What's this wolf and, and, and other stuff? Um, <laughs> the uh, It's the conversation between two people identified as it's written down as mouse, usually the female part, and wolf, usually the male part. That's actually on the printed score of the song. Um, they're at the wolf's home. The mouse decides it's time to go home, but the wolf, you know, wants her to stay, yada, yada, yada. So, what's in this drink is uh, is the example, is the, is the prime lyric that everybody focuses in on. This is a song about date rape. All right, in fact, a really good friend of mine commented on a post that I had on Facebook about how Baby It's Cold Outside isn't a Christmas song and that it's not as bad as it's made out to be. And their comment on it was, you know, can we at least agree it's a song about date rape? And I said, you know what? Fair. I know. I, maybe. I was more than willing to, to concede that maybe there was some nefariousness in the song. All right? I was more than willing to concede that. Except now, people get so ridiculous with this stuff that, no, you've made me go and research and analyze. And now I'm second-guessing my acceptance of, of even saying that it's a date rape song. Because as I just pointed out, in the lyrics, cultural differences of the time. Oh yeah, 1944 people was a different time. I don't know if you knew that. This is the best part when we talk about history and stuff. Is talking about how there was different times and there was different meanings to different phrases. Or that 1944 idioms might not make sense today. Might not apply culturally today. I mean, think about it. Think about it. At the time in 1944, somebody actually replied to, to my Baby It's Cold Outside post and said, you know, actually this, uh, this song could be about uh, two people who are, uh, who are more or less cheating. Like, like two individually married people who are stooping. And in 1944, that would have been very, very frowned upon. But, just as I read too, uh, being a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiancé of somebody and spending the night would have been frowned upon. See, back in 1944, society was just a tad different than it is today. Back then, fiancés, you know, back then when you were an engaged couple, you didn't live with each other. Alright? Unlike today... Where you might be living with each other, not after a month or two of dating, but it's okay because we're a bunch of whores and we're cool with it. I mean, some some of my friends and some of my some some people in discussing this kind of re- reference "Baby, it's cold outside" to uh, 
more akin to today's uh, Netflix and chill, if you know what I mean. Uh, I, 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 maybe, 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 but I, I can't draw a bridge like that uh, uh, to to those two topics when when they seem inherently different. But that's dis- that, that that despite all that. The people who are actually came up with that argument about the idioms and the differences, you might be surprised, is from the Washington Post. And this was actually a Washington Post article by Maria Hanan in December of 2014. And to quote some of the defenses from her Washington Post article, quote, She, the person in the song, never expresses any personal distaste at the idea of staying, rather pointing out that her sister will be suspicious, her maiden aunt's mind is vicious, her brother will be waiting, her father will be pacing the floor. Oh. Oh. Oh, further quoting the article, quote, In this light, this song could be read as an advocacy for women's sexual liberation rather than a tune about date rape, end quote. Oh, my God. Context matters, people. Historicity matters. Cultural differences in time periods matter. It's like I've been talking about this before. Now, not to stay focused and harped on the freaking song. That isn't even a freaking Christmas song, despite the fact that so many of you associate it as a Christmas song because of its wintry, cold, snowy theme, why don't we treat this like we treat all other forms of music? If you don't like it, don't listen to it. Just don't. If there's a couple of things I learned from this controversy, it's this. Number one, A surprising amount of Americans still listen to the radio, and I do not understand that. I don't understand that. It's 2018. I don't listen to the radio ever. Hardly ever. I listen to the Eagles games on the way to work. If they're broadcast, like if they're 1 o'clock games, I'm going to miss the fourth quarter, except I turn it on in the car and I listen to Merrill Reese because he is the best commentator of all time. And I'll listen to Merrill Reese call the game all the way to work. That's one time I listen to the radio. All other times for for music? For music? You people still listen to the radio for music? Are you kidding me? 2018 and people still tune into music on the radio. Like on the FM dial. Like I don't even I I, I can't even give brownie points to like Sirius XM satellite subscribers. Because what's the point? It's 2018. Everybody I know has Apple Music or Spotify or Amazon Prime comes with music streaming, and they have their separate platform for music streaming as well. Music streaming is what people do. You people listen to the radio? Who listens to the radio anymore? So that that, that was a shocking revelation that people still listen to the radio. I did. And I'm a radio guy. I'm a guy that likes podcasting and wants to get into broadcasting. But the radio? Come come on. That's one revelation I've had from this. Another revelation I've had from this. 
is that people don't pay attention to lyrical content of songs anyway until somebody tells them to be enraged about it. <laughs> that's that's the other thing. Cause think about how many songs are played on the radio a day. And I don't care what genre. Some people some people are disgusting and equate it to only like rap or 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 something like that. Every musical genre has music of uh has music with lyrical content in poor taste, poor quality, is sexually explicit and far, 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 far more vulgar than "Baby It's Cold Outside" could ever be, could ever be. But just some historical context in that song, and you can see how I don't know the outrage might be wrong because yes, by today's standards, listening to certain things might set off certain signals in your head. But then you're not taking into account in 1944 the idioms that were used at the time. And, oh, maybe it's not that bad of a song. And maybe you just are addicted to outrage. And every little outrageous thing that you're told to be outraged about is fun to be outraged about. So you are. I don't know. But people do not pay attention to the lyrical content of songs. Unless they, re- unless you really know it and you're just hearing it in the background. You might get a tune stuck in your head. You might, you know, you might dance a little jig. Might be a little earworm. But people misunderstand the content of songs anyway. Trust me, as a heavy metal fan myself, (coughs) a hard rock and a heavy metal fan, I get people not understanding the actual content and context of a song. It's as simple as this. I like Iron Maiden. Everybody knows the song The Number of the Beast. So many people think that The Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden is some kind of like ode to Satan or is some kind of devil-worshipping song when it's not. If you look at the lyrical content of Iron Maiden's The Number of the Beast, it's not about singing the praises of Satan. Rather, it is about the nature of man and evil tendencies in men. But people ignore it. Now, there's been another Christmas song under scrutiny because of uh, lyrical content. And I suppose that the movie itself is under scrutiny as well. And that would be Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, that, that, that was something that the Huffington Post posted, and it could very well have been satire or a bait because they posted a, a reactions by parsing Twitter and getting you know people outrageous tweets. It's a, it's a new form of news that I don't like. Uh, if if it's true, if Huffington Post really posted it just to be shitbag trollers to see how people would react on Twitter to do another news article on people's reactions to tearing down holiday classics or something. I don't know. But they said Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was, you know, racist and bigoted and all this stuff. But you're talking about a world where apparently, apparently, uh, a Kentucky public school removed a scene from a Charlie Brown Christmas because of biblical content. 
And I'm sorry, Charlie Brown, Peanuts, Charles Schultz, he made Charlie Brown. And he threw in he threw in Christian biblical references because uh, he in fact was one. And when he was talking about Christmas, uh, in the form of Christianity celebrating Christmas, Christmas, he took Bible verses and you know made it all Christy and shit. And I guess that pissed people off. I don't know. What I do know is that people are addicted to outrage and they're addicted to this. Listen to what the news tells you about stuff. I, you know, I don't really understand. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, could it be construed as bigoted and and and, and racist and homophobic? I, you know, I don't know how you're going to get homophobic out of it. I mean, Rudolph, yes, he was teased and taunted for his glowing red nose. By his father, by Santa Claus himself, and by all the other reindeer. He became an outcast. And he meets up with Herbie... The elf, who doesn't like to make toys, who was an outcast. They became friends. Alright, the outcast people became friends. Rudolph comes back. Rudolph puts all all the prejudice that he could have against everybody. Because everybody shat all over poor Rudolph the entire time. And didn't care about his shiny red freaky deaky nose until his shiny red freaky deaky difference nose saved the day and everybody came to learn to appreciate that hey Rudolph is different and he's uh he's different in a way that none of us could possibly be different and he was the only one that could pull off and help us all oh my god there's like a whole movie not just like the opening scenes where everybody's shitting on him but that's the world that we live in. And it, I mean it's beautiful. Turn on the radio and tell me what sexually explicit content you hear over the radio. And tell me if it's worse than Baby It's Cold Outside. Because Baby It's Cold Outside might not even be a date rape song, as I pointed out. But there's definitely music on there about getting bitches and money and drugs. Okay, and in fact... As I was rehearsing this in my head, because that's that's what I do in the morning. I'm like, all right, I'm going to record my podcast. What are some of the things I want to talk about? And I start spitting things in my head. My high school, for example, Cab Calloway, School of the Arts, my high school. The high school's theme song is Minnie the Moocher. They sing it every year at Showstoppers. Minnie the Moocher, a high school theme song. You know some of the lyrics to Minnie the Moocher? Hey folks, here's a story about Minnie the Moocher. She was a low-down hoochie coocher. She was the roughest, toughest frail. But Minnie has a heart as big as a whale. She hung around with her bloke named Smokey. <clears throat> oh, sorry, she messed around with her bloke named Smokey. She loved him though he was cokey. He took her down to Chinatown and he showed her how to kick the gong around. She had a dream about the king of Sweden. He gave her things that she was needing. He gave her a home built of golden steel, a diamond car with big platinum wheels. He gave her his townhouse and his racing horses. Each meal she ate was a dozen courses. She had a million dollars worth of nickels and dimes. She sat around and counted them all a million times. Minnie the Moocher. That's a high school anthem. High school anthem sung every year at Showstoppers because it's Cab Calloway's most famous song. Should we pick should we pick apart the lyrical content of that? Cause I 
did when I was in high school. I picked apart the lyrical content all the time. But I also didn't care. I don't care. If you don't like it, move on. Stop petitioning it to take it off the airwaves. Stop shitting on other people's happiness. And move on. You don't like it, look the other way. We have great self-policing tools at our disposal. Use them. For the love of God, use them. All right. So that's going to do it for me, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And maybe, 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 maybe you learned something, Brian. Maybe you did. Um, But yeah, no. Thank you guys for tuning in. I love each and every one of you for tuning in. Whether you're tuning in on Apple, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever, whatever your means of tuning in is. I appreciate you for tuning in. I appreciate interacting with you on Facebook.com slash the FritzCast. That is the official Facebook page. But I'm on Twitter at FritzQS, F-R-I-T-Z-Q-S. On the Twitter. Love interacting with you there, too. FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com. For those of you who are shy and want to reach out, but not on a public forum that's fine you can email me i won't out you on this program and uh that's gonna do it for me for this week guys love you all have a good week and i'll see you again next week